Hey folks, today's conversation is with Clay F. of the Sarcastic Big Book, author of the Sarcastic Big Book. Um, we discussed his time as an alcoholic actively, uh, starting around nine, and uh, his 33 years of sobriety, and also about the very human condition that we all go through dealing with our resentments, our frustrations, our petty annoyances, and um, that it's not always alcohol related, but the alcohol certainly doesn't help. Um, yeah, and how maybe taking ourselves a little less serious uh, will help. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the author of the sarcastic big book, Clay F. Um, so, Clay, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so uh, much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I'm always interested in how. Well, originally, you know, because of because I'm a selfish alcoholic, I'm interested in how I became an alcoholic. But I have found that the best way to understand it is to get as much information about how others became an alcoholic. So um, one of my first questions, one of my favorite questions to ask uh, guests is, when do you remember alcohol first coming into your life? Not necessarily your first drunk, but, you know, was it something you grew up around or what's your earliest memory with alcohol? I grew up around it. My first memory that I remember <clears throat> really romanticizing was my family, tan, smiling, beautiful, in Vegas, um, walking into a casino, it's hot outside, air conditioning blowing hard when the door opens, and everybody drinking and it all just looking very sexy. Yeah. Yeah. And how old are you then? Very young. I mean, yeah. I don't remember very, very young. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it can be a very alluring thing, huh? Probably six or seven. I will yeah. say maybe eight. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, I think when you're a young kid and you see adults doing these things and you want to be an adult and you want to be included and you want adults to like you. Right. Yes. Um, and from that early, that early age, you're like, this is something that's important and exciting. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, looking back, I mean, when I was 11 years old, I had a, I had a bed that had three drawers underneath it and, and I pulled out the middle drawer and I built a fully stocked bar and I designed it sort of based on what I felt from that casino on the way home hotel California was on they said mirrors on the ceiling and pink champagne on ice for yeah. some reason all of those ideas the you know what I mean all swirled around the cigarette smoke the pink champagne the uh, you know what I mean something about it all became something I tried to create in my life once I started really needing to escape. Right. Um, I grew up, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, I lived on, uh, let's see, I lived down on Bonanza and Lamb. I lived on Decatur and Flamingo. Uh, I used to, I used to, I went to high school the first couple of years in the downtown Las Vegas uh, high downtown so we used to ditch class and go smoke cigarettes on top of the binion's horseshoe parking garage and yeah i mean I, I, buffet. I grew up in i was born in uh, southern california grew up in southern california but um the family would go there pretty regularly yeah yeah it's said so it's just a very and you don't realize how different it is until well for me at least until i left and it's like <laughs> Vegas is just when did, you, when did you leave? Uh 95, 1995. I was 18 years old. As soon as I could, as soon as I graduated high school, turned 18, I was gone. That was right about the time the stratosphere was going up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as a young kid, you're taking these trips and you're uh you're growing up with you know adults 
that are that are drinking, obviously. And you talk about building this, um, having this fully stocked bar under your bed. What age did you start drinking? Nine. That is extremely young. Yeah. I started stealing cans of Tecate. I'm familiar, yes. And uh, my plan pretty early on was to stay intoxicated as often as I could for the rest of time. That was my, it really made everything okay, even when it wasn't. I I just loved how it made me feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so nine years old, how does one get booze at nine years old? You steal it out of garages and people's, you know, parents and your parents. And when I got to be not, when I got to be a teenager, Back then, I mean, I used to drink at the the mall, had a round table pizza, and they would serve me pictures of beer when I was like 14, 15. And it was just kind of, it was a different world. Yeah. I'm like 100 years old. So this is like a, at a, time, at a time when there were horses and buggies. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like there was very much, not, I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hundred years old, but there was definitely <laughs> a little less, people were not as concerned, it seemed, with yeah. the effects of alcohol and certainly not on young people. Yeah, we would go on a pretty regular basis, we'd pile in the back of a pickup truck, just sit in the camper, you know, mm-hmm. of the pickup truck, no, no seats, no nothing, from Southern California, drive to Las Vegas, drink the whole way, get there, be served, I mean, when I was 16, 17, it was pretty normal. Yeah. Um, and during this time, I mean, is, is it, are you just having fun and there's no, there's no problems or consequences here at this? Or how do you categorize that? By that time, I was already having problems and consequences on a pretty regular basis. It was, mm. it was a few things were happening. I was getting in trouble with the law. I was getting in trouble um, at home, and I was really lowering lowering the standards for myself. My yeah. goals were getting smaller and smaller, and I just thought, you know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be like a film director, or musician, but then when I was about, I don't know, fifteen or something, I adjusted that to. I wanted to operate the tilt world at the traveling carnival because you could just blast music and have a bunch of sex and cause a bunch of damage and stay loaded and leave town. Sorry, we gotta go. It seemed like the dream job. <clears throat> the built-in geographical move that you That's know it. comes with the job, right? That's not me. Sorry, <laughs> we're going to the next town. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you it definitely shrinks our uh like you said our goals our standards um and 16 17 are you going are you going to school at this point did you uh i was barely going to school at this point i was i i mean there's another thing that i for some reason i got away with um quite a bit because i i i I knew when to be charming in tone and, and I used to have very long, beautiful blonde hair. And I was basically like a beautiful woman when I got sober and, and, um, I used that, um, to wiggle out of a lot of stuff Yeah, growing up. And, and I, there were audible gasps from the, um, administration when I, when I did leave high school and graduate like by the, by the, by a hair. My my family had already left California. And and when I was 17 years old, they left and said, you can't come. So I was, I was, everything had gotten pretty bad. And so you're just, you're just living alone and going to high school in California. I was renting a room. Yeah. And going to high school. That can't be easy. 
No, I mean, I, I, at that point, I was a I was a daily drinker, and I blacked out on a regular basis. It was coming apart really quickly. And and the family leaving was there was there some what was the the impetus for for that? I mean, you know, I I think a lot of it was they wanted to get away from me. I yeah, it's definitely. Um, I was, I was, I was a nightmare. I had become yeah. a nightmare. So once you graduate high school, that seems to be the final um, bit of obligation. Yes. Right. Like so, yes. then you're then you're free to live this life of the tilt to whirl carny, right? That's absolutely correct. And and how did that how did that go? I quickly became homeless. Um, I was in and out of blackouts, um, and that's kind of it. I was just in and out of blackouts. Mm -hmm. One time, I, I blacked out in Southern California and came out of the blackout at Reno. It's a long ways away. It's a long ways away, and I, I was terrifying, and I, and I thought, I'm not, I can't drink anymore. It was just terrifying. But it's all there's so much of that stuff like that that's kind of a blur. I mean, I came out of a blackout being robbed my car was in a creek came out of a blackout being baptized i don't go to church i mean it was just it was i couldn't stop i wanted to stop i really wanted to stop and tried to stop for years couldn't do it so in those moments like when you when you talk about i wanted to stop but i couldn't yeah can you talk a little bit about like what goes through your your mind when you're saying maybe I don't know what the situation is where you're saying oh, yeah. I don't want to drink but I'm I'm drinking anyway? Oh yeah, I mean I, I think about now I have real clear terminology for it because the big book is very clear on this, and I suffered from all three. Big book talks about really two different kinds of insanity. One it talks about permanent insanity, insanity and mentions that a couple times like wet brain. <clears throat> But the rest of the time, and far more importantly, it talks about this very specific form of insanity that in the 30s, they didn't know what to call it. So they just called it insanity. It's not Einstein's definition of insanity because one of two of the versions have nothing to do with that definition in any way. So the book says, you know, whatever the precise definition is, we call it, we don't know what else to call it. This is crazy. And so what would happen to me is all I was suffering from all three of this forms of this alcoholic insanity the book describes. And one is expecting the exact same results and doing it anyway. I know I'm going to, can I cuss on this show? Yes, you can go ahead and cuss. <laughs> I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to lose everything again and it's all going to fall apart, but fuck it. I deserve it. I know exactly what's going to happen. I don't give a shit. Version two, it will be different this time. This time, you know, I'll just have less. <clears throat> I suffer from that too. And then the scariest one, no thought at all. And that happened to me most often. It's just six o'clock, no thought of drinking, 601, I'm drinking. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I I was trying to remember some moments where <clears throat> the the I want to quit drinking, but I can't stop, where I'm almost in this, I'm watching myself go through these things. And I don't remember a lot of those moments, probably. I mean, I'm sure they were there. Um, <clears throat> it was, it wasn't until like I got sober and I started, uh, I replaced a lot of the booze with food and with sugar in particular that I, I think that I was then clear headed enough to, to have this happen and see it where I would be like, I'm not going to go get two pints of ice cream at the corner store. And I would see myself putting my keys in my pocket and going to the car and continually saying, I'm not going to go do this. And then doing that, you know, three nights in a row at different corner stores. So the clerk didn't see me. And I'm thinking, where has this behavior been before? And this is just ice cream, right? This is not booze, but it's exactly the same kind of behavior. And so like that it's, it's fucking, and mine is very, very, 
minimal compared to some. Like I don't, I'm not trying to compare my my problem with ice cream to to booze, but in those moments, it's just like it is so maddening to not be able to have access or control of your behaviors. Um, and you said you did this for a long, long time. Um, almost 10 years. And um, <clears throat> what was the, what was the thing that changed that allowed you to stop when you wanted to? Complete deflation. <clears throat> like no plan. I mean, I reached the point where I was in enough pain that the steps looked fine. That's well, a lot but, of pain. Yeah. That's a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how did you, so in that moment, well, how did you find them? The steps. <clears throat> My girlfriend, when I was in high school, her mom was in AA. And my girlfriend and I would get in trouble and we would get sent to AA meetings. So I knew about AA and um, I was going for a long time in high school. But, you know, just I was attending. Right. That's detention, basically, right? It's it just absolutely, literally <clears throat> just going is, as you know, like taking a folding chair to a gym. Mm-hmm. just setting it up and watching people talk about the fact that they exercise and expect you to get in shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, so well, the complete deflation, where did you find the steps in that, in that point? Did you, you, did you just know to look for a meeting or did there was a meeting? I, I knew where it was. I, I was, I, I'd been in the hospital. I overdosed. I, I flatlined from alcohol, died from alcohol poisoning. And had delirium tremens for uh, I don't know how long, but the next thing I remember, I'm driving up a street and it's raining and the windshield wipers are going. I'm going to this meeting and and I remember I couldn't like right now I know generally what my plans are for the rest of the day. There's people who are expecting me. There's I have you know places to be and things like that. And I had nothing. I had, I couldn't. There was nothing. My life had like I could see about 10 seconds in front of me. Hmm. There was nobody waiting for me. There was never going to be a call coming. There was no appointment. There was nowhere for me to be whatsoever. I had no plans. That was at the jumping off place. Unless you've experienced that, it's very hard to describe, but I just, I, I went to that meeting and it was just, I, I was out of ideas. I didn't, up until that moment, you know, you could have given me a, a, a thousand reasons to do something and instantly I come up with a thousand and one why I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was just a great, but I had no, I would have done anything. Literally, I just didn't, I would have done anything. And so that, that meeting was the, the turning point? <clears throat> yeah, it really was. I went there and I had met somebody there about 40 days prior. And I know that because he, he gave me a big book and signed it, and wrote the date. And said that, you know, come back a year from now, we'll give you a cake, get this and that. But that didn't happen. But I went back to that meeting and he was there again, that same guy. And he, he greeted me again. And he remembered me, which is impressive to me now. And he also remembered about how long I should have, which is impressive. And, you know, he was, the, the turning point was that he was present for me. He wasn't standing outside the meeting talking about his own shit. He wasn't outside the meeting telling somebody about the problems he's having at work or this or, or you know what I mean? He was present. When I walked up, he held a space for me and looked into my eyes. And that is what really, truly changed my life. No one had done that. And if he had been out there with a friend, like, dicking around, in his own world, I would not have come back twice. And also, I wouldn't have stood up and said, I'm an alcoholic. Because they said, are there any newcomers? And everybody stood up and, and they sat down. And, and he turned around and he looked at me. I was glued to the back wall. And he pointed at me and he said, we have one more. 
that that moment something i uh, can't explain it but something something happened but if he had not been present i don't know what would happen yeah i think that's that's definitely something that's important and i've had uh people in the past my sponsor and, and other folks who have um it's just that yeah have spending time and being present and it's, it makes it makes all the difference because you know i know especially online it always seems like somebody's got something to sell right and there's everybody's got a program and everybody's you just need to get on this program and here's my subscription code and everything's going to be fine and if you just follow me your life is going to be fixed and that becomes very hollow and very exhausting and really kind of gross after a while. And um, <clears throat> obviously this happened long before any of that stuff existed, but it just reminds me of folks in my life who were actually there, <clears throat> excuse me, and offered their time more than anything else. Right. And how important that is. Just that somebody's there to say, hey, I'll talk with you for 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I, I think about that when I'm at meetings, uh, you know, as much as I can, I try to remember that I don't want to be the guy who's standing out there, someone's hurting or, and I don't want to be the one who doesn't see. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, and it's not always easy because we're all caught up in our own shit, but it's, I think you, you make a very good point and it's always a good reminder that when I'm going into a room or a meeting, it's really important just to be present about what's going on here and um, to know that I don't need to be, that even if I've been to this meeting a thousand times before and I know everyone in this room and we're just talking shit and we're, you know, whatever, like that's, that kind of stuff is not helpful to the people who really need it because- that's right. <laughs> I'm guilty of that sometimes, but sure. There's no, I mean, I, I can't be wrapped up in my own shit. I can't above everything as an alcoholic. I can't be mostly concerned with myself anymore. I just above everything. I can't. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so 33 years is a long time. It's 32 right now. It'll be 33 this year later. I'm still okay. Still, yeah. Um, and one of the ways that I found you and one of the ways or the way that I found you is through this thing called the Sarcastic AA book. Um, is it Sarcastic AA book? Is that is that Sarcastic Big Book? Thank you. Sarcastic Big Book. And so it's always interesting to me because people, well, people come come at and through AA in a million different ways, right? Like it's it's very much I've met people who are who have been sober for years without it. I've been people, I know people who have been a handful of times and it works for them. And we can, you and I could probably discuss and argue about what a real alcoholic is versus not. Um, and we would, we might come up with different definitions or we would have ones that would clash with what other people think, you know? Um, I've always found the, the, the moniker of, of alcoholic helpful. I have no problem calling myself that. Um, but I, when I see through the sarcastic big book, um, and then knowing that you are 33 years sober, it's interesting to me because I would, if somebody said I got 33 years, I would say, oh, they're probably a big book thumper, but, but I also know a gentleman who celebrated like he was, I think as he has as many years sober as I do, as, as, as old as I am. So he's like 45 years sober <clears throat> and he was, he was offering up all kinds of other literature. He's like, well, yeah, there's this, but there's this and this and this and this. And I, I'm starting to see this sort of trend of, you know, I mean, maybe you've been through phases, but tell me what the, uh, I guess all of this to say is that you can't, judge a book by its cover, no pun intended, <clears throat> but the where does the sarcastic big book come from? Because it's hilarious, one. It comes from love. It comes from 
my absolute love of fellowship and my own healed pain. And the fact that the big book itself says, read other books. The big book itself says, encourage a new person to follow their conscience. Don't pressure them. Make it clear they're under no obligation to you. If they don't want to see you, you should not be offended. Don't make them do this. They shouldn't be forced or pushed or prodded no. by you, their friends. These are direct quotes. And I don't know anyone in AA who's having that experience. I mean, I can count them on one hand. Most people I know feel pressured, bullied. They're afraid of their sponsors. I mean, it's just, and I mean, friends of mine. I mean, and that's, it's not, it's got my, my friend Christian has this really good analogy where it's like, if you brought an exercise bike, stationary bike into a yoga studio and started exercising, started riding the bike in there. People came in, they say, oh, what is this? I'm in a yoga studio, so this is yoga. So then they start bringing all these bikes and they're all doing it. There's nothing wrong with an exercise bike, but it's not yoga. Mm. There's nothing wrong with like disciplining people and holding them accountable and all that, but it's that's not what's in the book. The book yeah. says very much the opposite of all that. And I remember when I was writing it, I, I read it with a, I read it to a lot of people, a lot of old timers, newcomers, people who've gone through the steps in different ways, therapists. Um, and it was originally longer. Everybody was like, dumb it down, make it, you know what I mean? Like it, just, it achieves its point quickly, just make it, you know? And, and <clears throat> therapists were like, this is literally, all the things, these are all the reasons people don't like AA. Like it's all right here. This is this is like the problem people have with AA, but it's not. If you wrote down what we actually do, it looks crazy. <laughs> so I would be like, I'm not gonna do this. And then I go to meetings. I go to a lot of meetings. I love alcoholics. If anybody if somebody knows me, they know it's my life. I, yeah. I don't have time to get into all the things I do to try to repay alcohol stops. But it comes from love. And I knew right away, all along, there were going to be people who really understood that. And there were going to be people who really did not. And I just don't care. Because yeah. it it's it's not... Something happened with that book way beyond me almost right away. I just don't even, I don't feel related to it so much anymore. Yeah. Well, and I think when I talk to people and they talk about their, their issues and their problems with the program. And um, I mean, I also, I don't, I don't, uh, pressuring people never works. It doesn't work for anything. So it's certainly not going to work for this life-changing thing. Right. Um, <clears throat> but it's always these, they're very, very much the same. And everything that you, that you write about all the things that you poke fun at are like universal. Right. I mean, these are these, universal. and these are, these are experiences, not only that um, come straight from sometimes from the text, but it's also the people who are maybe not, and again, do what you want to do, but who maybe are not executing in a way that is conducive to helping other people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, there's nothing in there that I'm not guilty or have not been guilty. Not one thing. It's like, I'm not, I'm not, it, <laughs> it really comes from the absurdity of, what I've done mm -hmm. and how universal it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there was, I had a, I, I had a period where I had, I was going, this is very early on. We're talking in the first year or 18 months or two years. And I just started to hate it. I hated going. My biggest resentment was going to these meetings. <laughs> and like, I was like, this doesn't work. And I said, you know what? I don't need this shit anymore. I'm not going to, I'm going to quit going. And <clears throat> I was like, I don't want to wake up so early when I have to work the night before and go to these meetings. I don't think I'm getting anything out of it. So I'm done. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to stay home and I'm, you know, I'm going to play video games or do whatever the hell I want and not worry about it. And my sponsor said to me, and he's a very reserved, quiet, you know, well-spoken man. And he's like, John, okay. Um, will you do me a favor? And I was like, sure. I, I owe you a favor. He's like, maybe just go to another one. There are other ones than the, than the room that you usually go. Like, we don't have to always meet on Sundays. There are, you know, this is not the only place that you can go and get this. And I was like, okay, maybe. And I didn't go for a while. And then I was worried. I was scared to go back because I thought, oh my God, what are people going to think? And where have I been? And they were just like, oh, hey, how was your summer? Yeah. nobody gave a shit nobody yeah. cared what i've been doing they yeah. weren't like oh my god did you relapse they were just you know whatever and so that was a that was another lesson that i needed to learn there um but it also going out to other meetings i was like oh shit this comes in all different flavors so whatever it is that annoyed me not about the text in the book but the guy who was always there at the same meeting that i was it was it was him or really, it was me that just needed to step away and go find something else. And all of these things, which I never would have gotten from just reading the book, right? So there's all these processes that happen around it. That's the same process where I, I just basically, I just transferred playing God into AA. I started playing God in meetings. Well, that's not right. That's not in the book. That guy shouldn't share that. That girl was wrong to say that. It's like, I'm just the director trying to run the whole show again, except now I'm in a meeting hall. But it's, yeah. So I resented my way out of all meetings multiple times over the years, you know, particularly for the first 10 years of my sobriety. I would grow to hate a whole community. And then I'd be like, oh, actually, it's just me. I'm not practicing what I think I know yeah. what I'm preaching about. Yeah. One of the funniest things I ever did. So how stupid is this? I got up to a podium when I really felt like, like I really understood the message in the big one. The first thing I did was go to a podium, get up there and say, you guys don't know what the fuck <laughs> And how did that go? Over? All of you, and I left. You know, I left, I didn't come back. And then, you know, I did that at another meeting and another meeting. And I was like, oh, you're a, you know, actually it's me. Okay. Knowing what's in there and living what's in there are not even related. Yeah. Yeah. I better start, I better start yeah. living this. And <clears throat> I guess too, poking fun at it and, and criticizing it in ways, um, it's, I think it's just, I think it's a normal, healthy thing. And I think that uh, certainly I have learned to not take myself too seriously in sobriety because that's what got me into this mess in the first place, you know? Um, and so like, I guess some people, and maybe, I don't know, have you gotten some backlash from this book that you've written? Have people seen it and been like, this is yeah, blasphemy? but. but Far more than that is people like quietly on the side, you know, thank you so much for this. Yeah. Are you in New Jersey? Are you in <laughs> Australia? Are you talking about the San Diego group? Like it's like, right. It's everywhere. Yeah. And <clears throat> the amount of joy yeah. that is communicated to me about it has just made my life. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, and so very, very true things that I'm just like, oh yeah, that was, that happened. Oh shit. That's exactly thoughts that I've never shared, right. Thoughts that I've never right. shared with anyone pop right. up 
on your Instagram feed or on mine from your page. And I'm like, oh, that's what I was thinking the other day. And I didn't say anything. Maybe I should. And more, it, it, it prompts me to look at these things and say, how can I change that? Or do I need to change that? Or do I even want to change that? You know, because I've talked to people who are like, I was kind of an asshole and I didn't want to lose that. And I was like, great. You don't have to. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <clears throat> no, that's that's my favorite is is what you just said, is that um, the messages I get from people saying, you know, I needed to see this or this is, you know, you're, you know what I mean? Because uh, I'm just trying to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I have found for myself, very powerful. If somebody says to me, you should be of service. My thought is, don't tell me what to do, or I am being of service, or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But if you say to me, you should not be of service, then the thought is the opposite. It's like, shouldn't I be? Like, like I'm supposed to be of service, right? It's like, so everything on the Instagram page is kind of, a lot of it comes from that mentality, where it's like the inverted message is so much more powerful when you highlight the absurd opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, John, worry about tomorrow. You should worry about it today because it solves it. Right. Yeah. I've, I don't, what is, yeah, I just worry about it right now. Spend the rest of the day worrying about tomorrow. It'll be, worry, and, and, and if you can worry about next week already, that's probably even smart. Perfect. Yeah. See, this is, this is good. This is good information. And it, I guess it just highlights the absurdity of the alcoholic thinking in, in so many different ways. I think it's just human. Really that do. too. Yeah. 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 You know, you're right. And I, I once, uh, I, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Mishka Shubali, who's sober. And, um, one of the things oh, wait a that, minute, Mishka, I know Mishka. Do you? Yes. No, no. no. <laughs> Well, he said something that you just reminded me of. And he said, um, oftentimes, you know, we give, I'm going to try and say it correctly. We give alcohol agency. It doesn't deserve in yes. that these are human problems outside of the addiction to alcohol. Certainly there are very specific alcohol addiction problems, but in the larger, uh, conversation, these are, these are human problems that we all suffer from. Dr. Silkworth wrote something in the early 50s and published it in the grapevine about this, saying, mm -hmm. I mean, it's called Slips and Human Nature. And you can find it online, Slips and Human Nature. And he says, you know, if somebody, <clears throat> he, he supports what you're saying now. And he gives these examples of like, if somebody had a heart attack and went to the doctor and then they, you know, they, um, the doctor gave them this new regimen and they started eating better and they stopped smoking and they started climbing the stairs. And then after a while, they didn't want to do those things anymore. And they started to lose the fear. They would stop following directions and you would not call that cardiac thinking. Right. Yes. It's you like wouldn't. it's human nature. He yeah. said the idea that there's a bunch of stuff wrong with alcoholics is largely, he said, twaddle, which is like a 30s mm -hmm. word for bullshit. Right. Pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess I also know that I was, as like many people before me, uh, extremely resistant to AA. But, um, and, and I think in my mind, when I went in, it wasn't that I was so deflated I would try anything because I wasn't, but I had known people who had it had worked for. And so I went in there with this sort of investigative mind in that this isn't going to work for me, but I'm going to figure out why. <laughs> and that was my goal was to be like, I'm going to, yeah, no, no problem. I'll come over to your house. We'll sit down. I'll read some, I'll read some pages with you out loud, you know, whatever, but this is not going to work for me. And I just need to figure out why. And that was my whole attitude toward the whole thing for quite some time. It's just, I mean, imagine if you put something in your GPS, let's say you put Vegas in your GPS and you were like, okay, get on, I don't know where you live now. Mm -hmm. uh, Northern California. 
<clears throat> so, so it says, okay, get, you're going to get on the five. You're going to go on the five for like such and such hundred miles. What if you pulled over and you're like, and I call you and I'm like, John, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm like, are you going to Vegas? You're like, I just don't think Vegas is there. So I'm going to flip at you. I don't think Vegas is going there. a different direction. For some reason, I'm driving towards Denver now, but I just, I got to, because I got to figure out. Mm-hmm. Just fucking. <laughs> just drive to Vegas and find out if it's there. It says go this many miles. Just go that yeah. many miles. It doesn't, Vegas doesn't care whether I believe it's there. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't. It really doesn't. The steps were like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, I, so I just think it's really important, uh, the thing, the, the, the sarcastic big book, because it highlights so many of the quote unquote problems that we think we have yes. with the book or the program. And ultimately every single goddamn time, it's a problem with me. And I know this and still, I, it's just, it's another, whether it's another person in my life that I have to, that I'm stuck having to work with or be around or whatever the case may be that I have to learn to deal with their thing that, Oh, this is another lesson. Right. And, you know, I get fucking tired of lessons like everybody else too, <laughs> Right. but they're not going to stop coming either. No, they haven't yet. You know, this might be the last one. This <laughs> Right. This might be the last one. And then this I will one. have learned everything I um, need to learn. We're good. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, and that's, that's exactly that's the that's some of the bizarre thinking that goes through our heads you know and as human beings but also uh uh the on top of all the the alcoholic mess that we have put ourselves through yeah i mean my wife is is not an alcoholic she's not a drug addict she's like the most normal person that i know freakishly viceless and um and she relates to almost everything she's ever heard in, in, in meetings. She used to leave saying, you know, I, I never felt like I fit in either. I'm not yeah. an alcoholic. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Right. I take that. <laughs> yeah. My buddy's wife is this, uh, she's, she's not alcoholic and he's still, he's been in the program a year longer than I have. And he'll still be like baffled. He's like, yeah, she's got this bottle of vodka in the freezer. It's been there for eight months. Or, you know, like she'll just leave like half a glass of wine on the table. And I'm like, I don't get it. Just drink it all or none. Like <laughs> psychotic. Yes, exactly. Right. It's crazy. You know, um, I've worked in restaurants for years and I never understood it. I was like, there's a half a bottle of wine there. Right. And I pound that, you know, because, you know, you got to drink all of it. I remember when I was, when I was new, I was, I was thinking I, I couldn't be an alcoholic, you know? And I was just, I was, for maybe two years, I was just running around. What if I'm not an alcoholic? What if I'm not? What if I'm not an alcoholic? What if I'm not? So I, finally, somebody said, what if you found out that you weren't? What would you do? Hmm. And I was like, I'd go get fucked up. Stay fucked up permanently. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean... It's not, and I hear this one a lot too, where it's like, well, because we're alcoholic, we drink because we're alcoholics and that's it. And there's no other, oftentimes there's no other, we can discuss all of the, I can trace back. Like I started talking to a, a great aunt of mine about my father and my grandfather. And I, I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, but I'm looking for something to explain to me why I am the way that I am. And if I can just understand that, then I can, I can move on from it. And, um, I can't really, I haven't found anything yet other than I'm just an alcoholic. And so I'm going to drink if given the chance. Um, and so I should just not give myself that chance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, another thing I love about the big book is it doesn't care why you're an alcoholic. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's like, think about it. If you went, let's say you needed eyeglasses and you went to an optometrist. Mm -hmm. and he was like okay we're going to talk about why you can't see i don't care. And i want you to, i want you to i want you to really understand this so i'm going to give you some audio books you can go home i want you to really get into why 
reason why you can't see. You'd be like, can I just have some fucking glasses, please? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I don't care why. It doesn't I, matter. I mean, you have a lot of interesting information, but it's not going to be the same. But I still need to see. You need to see. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear? Sure. Any you got these? something for me? Yeah. I'll. T- yeah. Absolutely. You got a daily med? Is that daily meditation? Yeah. This I'll, I'll. This is more sarcastic daily meditation. What's today? The thirteenth of May. Today is the fourteenth. Fourteenth of May. What's today says? Let's say. Today's says. Make sure you always argue against having empathy. <laughs> yes. 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 I will do that today. Does it make sure you argue against that? Make sure you're on that team. Can I ask you a little bit about the writing process for you? Um yeah. well, go read me one more. Can what's what's tomorrow gonna be? Tomorrow. Let's see what tomorrow says. There's zero difference between doing something wrong and making a mistake. So berate the shit out of someone when they make a mistake. Yeah, that'll that'll be helpful. The next one's really funny. It says, don't say anything when someone is being evil because you're just judging and that's wrong. Nice. Uh, Um. So with this, this one in particular, well, the, the daily meditations and then also the, the big book, um, did you kind of go like page by page and pick things out? Um, or was it more of just, I'm going to write a bunch of this stuff down that, that feel that I, that I've heard or that I feel and put it together with the sarcastic big book. Yeah. That was kind of like a bus that just pulled up and was like, get in. And I was just, I just. I just sat there and just wrote it real quick. Yeah. It, it just like came I, out. It just, yeah, that was that was like something that didn't. That's what that was like. I felt like I was huh. just. And that's, I mean, that's usually means you're onto something, right? Or <clears throat> then, I, and then the other ones were just things I, you know think about and thought about so many times because yeah i talk that way that's what helped me a lot one of the first things that helped me in the program was somebody being sarcastic to me he said you know did you go to any meetings today and i said no and he said yeah, you know i understand there's not a lot of choices you know there's two this morning there's one at noon there was like a six o'clock meeting was so, I, so mad and i was like attacked him like why are you attacking me I said, why are you giving me such a hard time? You know, that was when I was like super tightly wound and like, I was very serious. What I felt was very serious. This is my emotion. It's very serious. Don't fuck with it. This is an emotion I'm experiencing. Do not make fun of me. Right. And he said, I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm just trying to see how serious you are. And then for weeks, I was just driving around and his face was in my head and just like, how serious you are. I'm just trying to see how serious you are. How serious you are. It was just like, <laughs> really messed me up in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of thought about it now where in sobriety, as well as other things that I'm trying to accomplish in life is I'm whittling away the excuses. So whether it be I need to write more. And so I move things around and I recenter the desk and I clean things out. And I'm like, okay, now you don't have that excuse. So what, what else is was stopping you from doing the thing that you want to do and what else is it? And what else is it? So, cause you know, I think things like physical space are important and all that, but like, okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way, what's going on inside your head, what are the things that are blocking you, you know? So let's, let's, uh, what does it change the things that, that we can yeah. You know, all that, all that stuff. Um, and uh, it's, it really is that like, how serious are you? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to take today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, but I'm going to ask myself how serious I am today. Yeah. Me too. That's really good. Um, 
So if somebody's interested in this book, maybe for themselves or uh, somebody else who might not be interested in AA, but this might be a gateway, where can, where can, where can one find these? You can find all of the books. There's like five of them all together at sarcasticbigbook.com. They're on Amazon as well. Okay. <clears throat> and my Instagram page is sarcastic.a.book. Okay. Um, and my email is sarcasticbigbook at gmail. Perfect. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I don't know if you have any parting words or uh, any suggestion for people who are might I mean, be looking for some help. You know, if anybody's listening to this and they're wondering about like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this becomes operative for somebody. My wife doesn't really think the books are very funny. It's not really her <laughs> humor. So, I mean, she does, she, you know what I mean? Right. We have, I have a very, very sick humor, very sick. And so she said, you know, if you're going to do this stuff, also just have a podcast with the, with, without any of that joking around mm -hmm. just a straightforward experience so there's that too that's available if you go to sarcastic big book or sarcastic you know it's recovery radio kmp3.com okay there's like almost 400 episodes okay so there's that too if anybody yeah. um i just talk about my male modeling a lot and about <laughs> It's important. Um, it's important. You know, you get I it. I do. I do. I do. Um, yeah, man. I, I thank you so much for, for sitting down and talking with me and for sharing all this stuff and, you know, for doing what you do. Um, because, you know, we are, we are certainly not a glum lot. I mean, I've been mm -hmm. glum, but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't prefer to be glum. So. No, I, you know what, actually what I do want to say is that yeah. For the people who are hurting, I'm most of my life I was really hurting. And you can find a really happy path, no matter how dark it seems. True. That's what it was. Very true. Well, we'll leave it there. Right. Um Clay, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having All me. Right. And I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>